0: Welcome to Ottawa Valley Vineyard, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share his love. and uh, realized that we needed some more time to unpack uh, various aspects of it. Uh, we're looking at really this soul thing that is like a, a call for the church to uh, take a step and do the stuff that God is calling us to do. We have the sense that he is with us. We have a sense that he is near us. We have a sense that he loves us. He cares for us. But he's also given us a vocation and a mission. And we need to unpack uh, what that means for us as a church. I want to start with a little story. Um, I almost died in a kayaking accident a a number of years ago. Uh, Some of you have heard me share this before, but I was in my, I I believe it was my mid-20s. Young guy, four of us as friends, we went out into the Ottawa River. We rented some kayaks. We didn't have... Uh, any experience kayaking. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, we went into a part of the river where we were going to be able to just play around and learn to kayak. And the guy that took us there, a good friend, claimed to know where we were and what we were doing, but he didn't know where we were and what we were doing either. And so we found ourselves playing and learning to kayak um, on the Ottawa River, um, just upstream of the two worst rapids on the whole river. And one by one, as the story goes, uh, we fell out of our boats and got sucked down into the rapids and through the, the the crazy water. So the first rapid is called Normans. The second one is called Colosseum. The first one is like Norman Bates. It's an old like horror movie character. And the other one is like Coliseum because it's this swirling bowl of death basically <laughs> that if you get into it, you're toast, right? And so the, the whitewater rafting companies will take people through there. Uh, but we went through uh, one by one and you know the first person went down, the next person went to check out, see if they were okay. And that person never came back. So we would check to see that person. We checked to see that person. I was the last guy through. And uh, as I made it through the first rapid, like by pure luck, because I had no idea what I was doing, I'm in the flat water between the two rapids, and I dump the boat, and I fall out of it. And so I'm swimming in this kind of flat water. I've managed to collect my paddle. I've managed to collect uh, my... um, uh, my kayak and as I'm sort of floating down not knowing that Colosseum is just down the river I don't see the danger I don't see that there's a problem there, uh, a raft comes by from one of the a- rafting companies. They've seen me go under. Uh, they pushed out from shore because they're coming to save me. And I'm floating down the river thinking I'm having a nice journey. And they're screaming at me, swim for the boat, swim for the boat. And it's like not computing for me because I'm not feeling a sense of danger. I'm not feeling a sense that I'm gonna die here, except that they're screaming at me and calling me over to their boat, and so I have to go. I finally listen to them. I leave my kayak, which I've just collected. I don't know what's gonna happen to it. Is it gonna be destroyed? I leave my paddle, and I swim like mad for the boat. They haul me into it, and I travel safely uh, through the next rapid. That story is really, in some ways, the Christian story. Uh, We are maybe the people in the boat crying out to our friends or trying to cry out to our friends saying, hey, get in the boat. Save yourself. You've got to get there. You've got to do it. Come and join us. Come and be a part of this journey with us. You're going to die if you go down the river like that. And Christians, to. Uh, the person like I was, sort of floating in the river thinking I was just having a good time, looked like idiots screaming their heads off because we f- people think they're in flat water. They think they're in okay water. They think they're in safe water. And so we've got this crazy dynamic that we live in calling people into a boat that they don't know they need and calling them to a salvation that they don't necessarily believe is important to them. There's this strange dynamic that we wrestle through. Uh, The Great Commission calls us to this crazy mission of going out there and telling the story of Jesus to people who don't know they need it. And we're calling them to actually uh, make a choice, to actually believe in something that seems irrelevant. And in many cases, it doesn't just seem uh, irrelevant. uh, This idea of calling people to believe in something in our culture that they don't think they need actually can sound bigoted and it can sound... Uh, really uncomfortable. It can sound like, why should I believe what uh, you believe? I can believe whatever I want to believe. What's the point of you calling me over into your boat? I'm perfectly fine in my own little boat. There's this strange dynamic. And and in the Gospel of Mark, as we are looking at these various elements of the Great Commission, Mark puts a really fine point on it and puts one of the verses in the scriptures that is super uncomfortable for us as Christians, because we don't like to talk like this. And we don't like people in our culture, our people in our culture don't like us to talk like this. Mark says this. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This is incredibly uncomfortable. How do we deal with that? Uh, we need to know what that means. What does it mean to uh, say that another person needs to take on the beliefs that you hold dearly what does it mean to you if you're a person looking at these crazy christians and they're saying hey our way is the way why would i listen to you why would i care what you're thinking why does that even matter um what does this belief in jesus have to do with your life at all so we're going to deal with uh the second one first We're going to deal with the more uncomfortable of these two statements first. This first statement, of course, whoever believes and is baptized, that's kind of just a nice invitation. If you caught the very beginning of this stream, Matt asked the question, you know, so what happens if the aliens invite you on their ship? Are you going to go with them, right? I think that's what non-Christians feel like all the time. These are aliens, like, inviting me on my ship. Am I even going to go? Uh, Christianity can make a case for why uh, it it is good to go, why there's something good about Jesus. Uh, But then this second claim that, uh, wait a minute! If I don't follow the Jesus way, I'm toast. That we don't we don't like to say that as Canadians. Uh, you know, if you look at an international index of. Uh, Canadian values, topping the list is fairness, inclusion, democracy, safety, diversity, equity, and non-competition. Now, we, we as Canadians, we hold the door open for our friends uh, all the time. And we'll just wait there and wait there and wait there while they come all the way down the sidewalk to get in the door of the building. Um, we'll say sorry so many times. We're just super sort of polite, inclusive people uh, so we don't like this one. We don't like this, whoever does not believe will be condemned bit. It's super uncomfortable for us. It's embarrassing for us. We probably should even just ask ourselves the question is, is that actually something that Christians believe? Do Christians believe that Christianity is the only way to God? Does there something else in the Bible that says that? And and unfortunately, I want to say it. it is. Uh, John 14, 6, it says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, this is Jesus talking. Remember the sweet, inclusive, uh, beautiful Jesus who healed the sick and taught us how to care for the poor and and all of that. He said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. Uh, In Acts chapter 4, again, uh, telling the story of Jesus, and there is is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Uh, John again in chapter 3 verse 36 whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him we as again as Canadians are so uncomfortable with this thinking uh, I promise we'll get to some understanding of it but we just need to wrestle with it for the moment now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received on which you stand and by which you are being saved." And then there's always these ifs in the scriptures, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you. So there's something about needing to hold on to those beliefs, and that's somehow connected with salvation. So we want to ask that question, is Christianity really exclusivist? When you look at those scriptures, it absolutely is. It says, this is the only way. But it's really, yes, it is, but no, it isn't. Because Christianity believes it's the only way. But that belief that it's the only way happens in the context of the understanding that this way in which it believes is a way that is open to everyone who will follow. It's an invitation that's open to everybody. And so imagine a ship. Uh, Or you can imagine that little uh, life raft that I was being called into, right? Um, You're looking at the ship and you're saying, hey, this is a thing that can get me across the ocean. And Christians would be on that ship saying to you, hey, this is the only way uh, to get across the ocean. But there's room enough on it for everybody. Everybody can fit. Everybody can go. Everybody is welcome. When we then feel a revulsion, about that ship because it is the only way, that revulsion isn't really about the fact that we're not invited. That revulsion really isn't about the fact that uh, we're not welcome there. That revulsion really isn't about the fact that God in his generosity doesn't offer a way to get across the ocean. That revulsion is really about us not wanting to leave behind some of the things that we want to hold on to leaving behind baggage that we can't take on the ship with us. Or maybe an appropriate uh, illustration for our time is uh, I think when we have cruises and ships like this in the future for the next few years, we're going to be required to show some kind of vaccination card or something, right? makes people totally uncomfortable, but I don't want to be vaccinated. I don't want uh, Jesus' salvation. I don't want to admit I'm a sinner, so I'm not going on that ship. That doesn't mean that the opportunity isn't offered to you. That doesn't mean that it's not invited to you. Our revulsion is about wanting our own boats, our own different kind of boats. Um, Maybe we'd rather have a cruise ship than a boat that's on a mission. Uh, There are ideas and baggage that we wanna hold on to that maybe we can't take on the boat, but still all the same, that boat is open, that boat is available and you're welcome uh, to take that ship. So we have to dig pretty deeply to understand why we as Canadians feel that this only one boat thing is is repulsive to us. And so we want to just wrestle with that. And, and the first thing I want to say about it is that there's actually something good in that revulsion. Uh, Mark Clark um, is a, a pastor in BC, and he says this, he says, uh, we don't want to confuse cultural relevant relativism with metaphysical relativism. There's something in us that we wants to have people from different cultures, different beliefs, different backgrounds. Uh, we want them to be safe. We want them to be included. We want it to be possible in our society to have diversity. We want it to be possible in our society to have people uh, with different beliefs, and we want to actually fight Uh, for their right to believe these things so that they can live in a context within, with the ability to wrestle with some of these questions, that love of all people, that is uh, something that uh, sort of stirs in us this revulsion about my way is the highway, uh, is actually something that's good, that cultural relativism that that desire to have many cultures is actually reflected in the end story of christianity where people of every tribe and tongue and nation will be gathered around the throne of god and we feel this also deeply in a personal level i remember when i was a kid i was just shortly after the time when i'd given my life to the lord um, probably, you know, 12 years old, Then I was in the gymnasium uh, at school, and I didn't know whether I hadn't performed well or something. I had to do an extra lap. All the guys uh, went into the locker room ahead of me, and as I came into the locker room, there was this uh, wonderful uh, friend, this wonderful kid named Michael. Uh, he was a Jehovah's Witness. He was a kid of Polish background. We were living in small town Saskatchewan at the time, so he was different. His beliefs were different. His uh, accent was a little bit different, and the kids in the locker room had taken him and they'd shoved him inside a locker and they were just sort of closing the door on him and he was terrified and they were jeering and they were yelling at him and sort of as a newly uh, awakened believer even at, even at 12 years old there was something in my heart that just rose up at that moment and I stormed into that locker room and I plowed through these guys and hauled Michael out of the locker and told the guys to sit down and shut up with probably words that 12-year-olds shouldn't know or use. And kind of a broken faith there. But there's something in me that was like, I've got to protect this kid. I've got to care for this kid. I've got to watch out for him. And I think that was the Holy Spirit in me. Uh, wanting to see that child, that boy, that friend be safe in that context. So that cultural relativism, that cultural safety is something that we really, really want. But that doesn't mean that everything that my friend Michael believed in uh, was true or right as a Jehovah's Witness. It doesn't mean that uh, his faith as a Jehovah's Witness is correct. That his beliefs were correct. He might be welcome he might be allowed he might be loved he might be accepted he might be part of my community he might be part of my family but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's uh, he's right about everything it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm uh, right about everything so we have this thing in our culture where these feelings of, of inclusivity these this desire to have everybody gathered around that's something that's really powerful and it's because we've heard in our schools we've heard in our uh, in our Culture, um, you know, quotes like this repeated time and time again, Gandhi's thing, like my position on is that all great religions are essentially equal or, you know, theologian Oprah Winfrey. (laughs) <laughs> saying uh, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe that there is only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths to God. We like this. We kind of love it as, as Christians. But like the story of my, my friend Michael, um, it's not necessarily true that all things are true. It is not necessarily true that all paths are true, even if we feel like that and even if we want it to be like that. Um, no matter what it feels like, like how it goes, we as our, our families, you know, gathered around the dinner table, we want everybody to get along. We don't want to have a fight over the mashed potatoes at the Christmas dinner. You know, and Edna believes in the power of crystals, and she really got in touch with the universe when she was doing yoga. She feels like a good, she's a good person because she wears bamboo yoga pants, you know, from Lululemon or something like that, right? That's, that's, that's what she's got. Uh, cousin Nathan has just finished his philosophy degree and maybe he's sitting at your dining room, ta- dining room table and, and maybe he's an atheist. Uh, you're a Christian and you believe what you believe. Uh, there's another uncle at the table who's, uh, who's a Roman Catholic and has a different perspective. So there's a whole bunch of different perspectives gathered around the table and we don't want to have conflict. but the reality is is that not all of those beliefs around the table can be true. Uh, when we study logic and we don't really do that in school anymore. There's the law of non-contradiction. There's a law that says um, two contrary propositions cannot both be true in the same sense at the same time. Uh, two things that are different can't both be the same. And so imagine you've got your, your child, your daughter, your uh, cousin, some little kid is coming up to you and saying, uh, two plus two equals five i told me when he was a little kid he was hilarious because he he was convinced for a while that two plus two is 22 because letter number two and the number two put them together and you got 22 and we couldn't get out of his out of his head that it was four Get it into his head that it was four, but your kid comes up to you and says two plus two is is five. Now you, as a parent, you love them. You don't want to shatter their beliefs. You don't want to tell them that no, two plus two is uh, is actually four. And and some people, like in an extreme uh, sort of uh, liberalism culture, like you would say, okay, you can call that four. You can call that five. Yeah. I know it's four, but you can call it whatever you want to call it. Uh, you you can say that's five to yourself, but that's really not calling four five. That's really changing uh, the definition. That's really putting a new label on those four dots. Uh, the reality is, is that when you put four dots beside five dots, it's not possible for the human mind because of the way God made the universe, because of uh, the way, um, you know, atoms work because of the way uh dna is formed because of the way humans are a human mind can't look at this line and this line and say that those two things are the same we can't say that they are equal our minds just aren't capable of doing that so in the world of ideas in the world of uh, thoughts Uh, in the marketplace of ideas about faith and religion and the future and eternity and meaning, all ideas are like that. They are they're not equal. They are different. If you look uh, at these four quadrants, uh, you have you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's sort of what Christians believe about who God is. God is a community of three. Uh, you could look at uh, your Hindu friends, and they would say there are thousands of gods. And you would look at an atheist friend who would say there is no God at all. And you could look at uh, a Muslim friend who would say there is one God, one prophet. Well, those things are different propositions and they can't all be true. It can't be true that there is no God and that there is one God in three persons. Those two things can't be true. So when we sit around the dinner table um, with uh, our conversation and the mashed potatoes, uh, we have to realize we can love each other, we can care about one another, but the fundamental differences between what we believe actually make a difference. If you look at uh, Christianity in a little bit more detail, Christianity is like Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected. That's how Christians believe we go to heaven. Um, our, Our Hindu friends would say, you know, it's karma and dharma, it's a matter of sort of building up credit for yourself and then ultimately you're re and you're re uh, reincarnated as something better or something worse and again my apologies to any Hindu friends that are listening because I'm giving the most simplistic understanding of your faith so please forgive me and then the idea of moksha which is at the end this idea that uh, ultimately when you get reincarnated to a certain point you cross over into sort of being uh, one you sort of cross over into this sort of higher uh, level of enlightenment that's sort of beyond being reincarnated constantly. That's a a goal there. Uh, Your atheist friend would say salvation is unnecessary Um, and your Muslim friend would say, you know, you have to uh, say uh, the confession about Allah. Uh, You pray uh, daily, you give alms, uh, you fast at the festivals and you make a pilgrimage to Mecca and having all those boxes checked are a part of how you're ultimately accepted into paradise. These are all ideas But they can't all be true. So we as Canadians have to have the courage to have the difficult discussions and probe the marketplace of ideas. We would love to be able to just say always are the same, always are true. That would be really nice and comfortable and great for us around the dinner table. But the reality is, is we have to have the intellectual courage to have the discussions with one another. We as Christians need to have the courage to read the Bhagavad Gita, or read the Quran, to understand and wrestle with some of these ideas and say, hey does Christian faith stand up here? Um, Many of you have heard uh, the old illustration of the elephant. Um, Imagine that there are blind people uh, who are gathered around an elephant. You know, one person might be holding onto the trunk and say, Oh, yeah. God is a snake. Another person might be holding onto the tail and saying, okay, yeah, God is like a rope. Another person is holding on onto uh, the, the trunk and saying, okay, God is like a tree. And the idea is, is that you could just sort of use this illustration, uh, or you will have heard it used maybe in your high school philosophy class. This illustration is used to describe, hey, there are different religions and they're all sort of seeing different things and they're all saying different things, but they're all really the same. Well, the reality is is that each of these faiths uh, proclaims something so profoundly different, so profoundly different about who God is that it's not actually possible for us all to be holding the same thing holding these different ideas and them actually be the same because they're mutually exclusive in many cases. They're different. And there's another problem with this illustration. The problem assumes that the person who is standing outside and looking at these blind people and looking at this elephant is the one person with the perspective saying that all things are true. And if you're saying that all things are true, you are in yourself making an exclusive truth claim. You are in yourself saying, I'm that one with the perspective. You are, in fact, um, articulating your own religion and articulating your own faith. So uh, that is how we wrestle with the idea that all faiths are the same, all beliefs are the same. The reality simply is that they're not. And so there's a call to investigate. There's a call to discover. There's a call to lean in and find out the truth of who. God is. Uh, the other belief that we hear commonly is that there's no such thing as truth at all. But you just simply have to realize that is another uh, an exclusive claim as well. That's another claim of exclusivity. Because those who would be saying there's no such thing as truth at all would be saying that, hey, everybody else who believes that there is truth is excluded from my truth, from my reality. The only people we can trust, the only people we can believe are the people uh, who believe what I believe. And so ultimately, it's self-contradictory. If you're saying there's no truth at all and somebody says that to you, you ask them, is that true? And they would say, yeah, of course it's true that there's no truth at all. And they've just made that truth claim. Their belief is ultimately self-contradictory. And so you can't trust it. Um, so the question for you as, as a person with these sort of exclusive claims of the faith is, um, would you just wrestle? If you're here and you're uh, seeking, if you're here and you're wrestling with the question, is Christianity true? Or you're wrestling with how to articulate your faith to a friend, um, Want to encourage you to be courageous enough to investigate, uh, to dig in, to look. And we as Christians can confidently say this to our friends because we know uh, that the story of Christianity is one that holds up in the intellectual marketplace and it holds up to our experience of God. This verse, back to Mark chapter 16 16 again this is so challenging whoever does not believe will be condemned what he's warning us is is that there is uh these right and wrong ways lead to good and bad ends he's causing us to wrestle with the idea that what we believe actually really matters where we lean in terms of our faith actually makes a difference. It actually will impact our lives and it will actually impact the lives of our friends. At the simplest level, uh, we could just position it by sort of saying, Punishment or or condemnation is maybe just the opposite of belonging. It's the opposite of getting on the boat. You remember the image of the boat that we talked about earlier? See this guy sort of sitting uh, by the dock and the boat is left. For those of us who choose not to get on this boat to which we're invited because we don't want to leave behind our baggage or because we don't want the inoculation that's required, uh, that being condemned, that opposite of being in a place of belonging is just the end result of our difficult decision not to get aboard the ship. And you've all felt that. You've all felt that moment of loneliness. You've all felt a moment of uh, being separate. You all know what that's like, but imagine that on a cosmic scale. Imagine that on an eternal scale. There's a call into something. There's a call into an invitation to look again at this picture of the boat. Do you want to be on this ship that you know is going to make it across the sea? Or do you want to be on the little boat that's going a different way that's going your own way. Uh, George McDonald C.S. Lewis kind of saw it like this, said, uh, a self is fundamentally, a person is fundamentally um, oriented outwards towards the other or inwards towards yourself. The logical end or the logical consequence of that inward orientation is loneliness. It is choosing your own way. It is being the person on the boat going by yourself. That is not the end that God wants for you. That is not the trajectory that God wants for you. If you think it's mean and, and frustrating that God has made a boat that has a few criteria that are required in order to get onto it, um, I think you need to wrestle with, is it really worth it holding on to those things is it worth it holding on to to your baggage is it worth it holding on to your sin is it worth it saying hey yeah i can do whatever i want and it doesn't matter what god thinks about my life do you want that sin more than you want a life of eternity a life of love a life of joy a life of hope a life of peace and a mission on which to spend your life like which do you really want do you want yourself do you want your autonomy do you want your freedom that that's just you? Do you want the loneliness that comes with that? Or do you want to be aboard the mission ship, going out and doing the things uh, that we're called to do? And so what Mark is doing with this, very uncomfortable to our Canadian sensibilities warning, uh, whoever does not believe will be condemned, is he's just like those people who were on the life raft calling out to me when I was going through uh, the flat water between the rapids just saying hey there's danger out there there's there's a consequence to your decisions will you look around will you see uh what's out there and and will you get on the ship with us and those people were doing it because they they cared for me they wanted me to get on the raft because they didn't want to see me hurt they they knew that the best place for me was on that raft and that was full of care that was full of love that was full of a desire to be kind And that's, I think, what we can see in Jesus, a great desire to be kind. So there's this question, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What does that mean? I think it's just three simple things that it means to believe. Uh, One, we we just come to believe the story come to believe that it's, that it's true, what Jesus has done for us is actually true and, and it actually happened. Uh, we go public with our belief, that's important. I'll explain that in a moment. And then we come to just lean into and rely on the relationship. So this first idea is, is important. Um, this story that we're talking about actually happened. Um, in First Corinthians, this is a, one. of, I mean, there's so many beautiful things to look at in the Scriptures. But Paul's writing to the people in Corinth, and he's describing to them the message that he initially brought to them, the message by which they first converted and by which they first gave their lives to Jesus. He says, "For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received: that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried." Uh, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, Um, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What Paul is doing is he's saying the gospel, the story I told you, is just the story of what happened. Uh, Christ died, Christ was raised, and when he was raised, all of these people saw him. Uh, The scriptures are full of these, because the Bible was written in and around and close to the events of the life of Christ. When the writers wrote about it, they wrote about it in a way that you could go and verify the story. You could write a letter to your uncle in Jerusalem and say, hey, tell me the truth of these things. Uh, If he's writing to the people in Jerusalem, uh, all these crazy stories about Jesus, all these crazy these stories about the wedding at Cana, the story of you know all of these pigs uh, getting uh, running off the cliff, the story of the feeding of 5,000, the feeding of uh, the raising of Lazarus, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you could look at those stories, you could ask the people who saw them, you could check with the witnesses if you're trying to make up a story. Um, or a religion or a faith, uh, you don't write about it in the generation that the events happened because people can go and check your story. They can fact check it. They can see if it really happened, but the gospel writers were passionate about giving you names and places and dates and details so that the people in that time could go and verify the story. They could talk to the witnesses. I mean, we have over 5,800 manuscripts or, or fragments of Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin manuscripts, 9,300 other manuscripts in various other languages from quite close to the time of Christ, all telling the same story. But we don't have any manuscripts of people who were refuting this story. We don't have anybody saying, no, no, those weren't the facts. These are the facts of the faith. This is what happened. We look back, historians look back, and they say, we we just don't have any evidence from anybody at any time period writing about this and saying, these are the alternate facts. This is the alternate story. This is what actually happened. Because that information, and when historians look at it, even from a scientific perspective, we're going to see Tom Holland at the Unbelievable Conference say things like this. uh, It just... Those those alternate stories just aren't out there. So that's the first thing. We just believe the story. We believe that historically Jesus died. And we look at the scriptures to understand what that means in terms of our salvation. Uh, we look to the story and see that he rose again. These are real facts. These are real events. These are real things in history and almost uh, probably Like a high percentage of scholars now just say, hey, there's evidence for this, whether they would be believers or not. The second thought that's important about belief, it's not just about believing in our minds, it's not just believing in our hearts. There's something about the way that belief translates into actions. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Um, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So that idea of having a belief that is strong enough that it's possible to come out of your mouth. Uh, Christians, uh, Jake's going to talk about this in a couple of weeks, the idea of baptism, uh, that you would publicly proclaim your faith, that you would let it be spoken outside of your own heart and outside of your own head, uh, speaks to a reality of it. Because when you speak it out, then you have to have conversation about it. You have to be able to articulate it. You have to be able to answer for it. You have to be able to tell your friends. So many of us as Christians, we have this faith that's in our hearts, but it never comes out of our mouths. But if we want a faith that is going to uh, transform the world, if it's truly faith that has saved us, then it's faith that is strong enough that it can come out of our mouths. So we go public uh, with that story. Um, And then there's uh, this other idea, and sorry, I got the caption wrong there, but we uh, have to actually lean into the story. And we have to act on the story. In John 14, 23, again, that's just a few verses after what we read earlier, for I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He says, "This anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So there's a relational aspect, a leaning on relationship piece that is so important to this journey of faith, that if you believe in Jesus, You lean on him. You relate to him. You talk to him. He comforts you when you're in grief. Uh, He leads you to do things you might not otherwise do. I want to tell the story just in closing of a pastor uh, from Russia Uh, some years ago, a guy named Joseph Bondarenko. Uh, he's a young was a young man. He came to faith when he was a child. He lived up in a Christian home, in an ev- evangelical home, in and around uh, the uh, like 30s, 40s, 50s, and on through uh, that period of sort of Soviet power in Russia, where um, the government was uh, strongly committed to seeing that its population would hold atheism as their belief system, um, and under that. Circumstance: uh, Christians were persecuted uh, in uh, in a very very aggressive way. So he tells a story of when he was a child and when he was in school. And this is just in grade school where he knew that his grades were being knocked down. He's a very intelligent man. And he knew that his grades were being reduced because of his faith in Christ so that he wouldn't get shunted ultimately into uh, a place of influence in the society. His grades were, were reduced. Uh, he ultimately fighting tooth and nail again as a believer. Again, all this time sharing his faith uh, in the community or er, in in Christianity. Ultimately, made it into the Marine Institute in Odessa in Russia, and did five years of school there as uh, preparation for becoming a captain in uh, the the Navy, uh, being able to you know, pilot ships and the whole thing, five years into his program, imagine this uh, for you as a university student, five years into your program in nursing, your program in uh, philosophy, your program in engineering, whatever it is that you're studying, imagine five years into it, uh, the dean of the school pulls you aside and said, listen, you have to stop evangelizing your fellow students. You have to stop telling the story of Jesus. You have to choose right now. Will you choose God? Or will you choose a diploma you can have god or you can have your diploma imagine five years of tuition five years of papers five years of essays and uh, joseph mondarenko said keep my diploma i choose jesus and gave up five years of his career gave up his, his dream of captaining ships and went on to be a pastor and what he shares is that at every moment like this every moment like this in his journey Um, He leaned on Jesus. This is what he describes in those horrible moments. Ultimately, he was uh, imprisoned. Ultimately, he was watched by the KGB. The church was existing in that space and time uh, in home churches uh, with blankets over the windows uh, to stop listening devices uh, so that people couldn't see the lights on inside. With smuggled Bibles, the inability to print the scriptures. No internet or streaming technology at that time, but in all of those dark moments, he says this, uh, when I was in grade school and they lowered my grades, what joy and spiritual strength I had from God. When the Dean said that my educational career was over, Oh, what joy and spiritual strength I had from God. The first three years of his imprisonment, he describes simply as, Oh, what joy. And strength I had from God. He was beaten when he refused to sign false accusations against others in the church. Oh, what joy and spiritual strength I had from God. Second three year sentence, told that he would never get out of it and only got out of it because communism fell. Oh, what joy and spiritual strength I had from God. Faith is something that you lean on. Uh, There's lots of intellectual wrestling for us as Canadians to get to the place where we can say with confidence that, yes, this Jesus way is the way. Now it is my way. And then much growth to become a person who leans on that faith and makes decisions based on that faith and speaks out and proclaims the gospel in that faith, knowing oh, what joy and spiritual strength I have from God. The whole thing is fueled by relationship. And so here we are as Canadians, timid Canadians. We don't want to upset the apple cart. We don't want to do evangelism. We would do anything. We would, we would so much love to do anything other than evangelism. We would serve our community in so many ways if it meant we didn't have to open our mouths and actually tell the Jesus story. But we need courage. Because not every belief that our friends believe is true or can be true or can be possible. We know a way to salvation that our friends don't know, we have to be courageous to tell this story. And if you're here and you're seeking, you're investigating Christianity. I encourage you to have the intellectual courage uh, to go ahead, read the Bhagavad Gita, read the Quran, read the Bible, investigate uh, the veracity of the uh, resurrection story investigate the stories of the eyewitnesses and then see where the place to put your faith is and lean there and rest there but we all whether you believe or don't believe we have to have great courage in this time we can't be afraid we can't be silent We can't distract ourselves with many pleasures or distract ourselves with alternate missions. Our mission is this great commission, like the people who pushed themselves off from shore to save me while I was floating down the river. We have to go and get in the raft and call out to our friends and invite them to follow Jesus because what people believe matters. Let's pray. Father, I pray for uh, us as Christians to have courage to share this story, to share it winsomely, to share it beautifully, to share it compassionately, to share the incredible love in it, to share the grace in it, to share the beautiful invitation of Jesus, even though it may cost us something. Even though it may cost us reputation, even though it may cost us a little conflict at the dinner table, even though it may cost us uh, our friends at work thinking something differently about us, even if it may cost us uh, to some degree persecution, whatever it costs us, Father, uh, would you cause us to overcome that fear with your Holy Spirit living inside of us and giving us strength and courage to do this mission that we're called to do because it matters it matters it's true so give us the courage to say it and i pray for everyone who's listening who uh, is investigating christianity or wondering what this faith is about be okay lord help them to be okay with being wrong help them be okay with wrestling with difficult questions help them to be okay with the conflict help them to be okay with the tension to dig deep and find whether you are true or not, or whether you're trustworthy or not, and prove yourself to hearts that are seeking. Welcome you, a good and generous God, mighty Holy Spirit to come and use us. We confess that we're not speaking as people who've got it all right. We're not speaking as people who um, have our lives together. We're not speaking as people who are perfect in any way. We are calling out to our brothers and sisters as broken people, as broken vessels. And so we just ask you, Lord, to use us. Give us courage in our brokenness to share your story to invite others into the boat with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Vineyard, visit ovv.ca.